And uh, we're going to begin um, our message here, but uh, first I would like to just say to Lauren, we will miss you dearly as you begin this next chapter in your walk with God. Uh, we send you with blessings and his grace and his peace in your life. So we're going to look at John chapter 9, and this is really the second in a three-part series on faith, uh, biblical faith. Last week we looked at reasonable faith as we studied Hebrews chapter 11, and today we look at transformational faith. Transformational faith, taken out of John chapter 9, we're going to look at the four steps to transformational faith in this man who was born blind. So with that, let's begin reading, and I'm going to just uh, read the first 12 verses, and then we'll kind of talk about it, and we'll keep moving through the entire chapter this morning. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and I washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So let's pause right here and let's pick up where Jesus had been and where he is going. This is known as the sixth of seven signs in the Gospel of John. And this is a moment in which Jesus had just left had slipped away from the Pharisees who were about to stone him for claiming equality with God. Jesus, it says here in chapter 9, verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Do you see the play on words by the gospel writer here? He saw a man born blind. Now, I will share with you, and many of you know our story, but... This particular passage is deeply personal for Susan and myself and our family because we had a similar experience as a family. The year was 1996. In fact, I didn't plan this, to be honest, but it happened to be during this same week in August of 1996 that Susan and I were pregnant far along with our second child, Seth. And so we 
uh, we're having an ultrasound done. They just said, let's do an ultrasound just to check on the baby. It was a normal day. It was a day like any other day. We went in, and the ultrasound nurse uh, pulled out her paddle and started moving the paddle around. And then she said this, when is the due date again? And we told her, just in a, a couple of weeks. At that, she said, oh, my God, and ran out of the room. You know, Susan and I were sitting there. We had no idea what to do. All we did know is that whatever that ultrasound nurse saw on that screen, it was not good. We started questioning. We started doubting. We started denying. We started bargaining with God. Oh, Lord, please make this right for us. A few minutes later, the doctor comes in, and he takes the paddle, sits in his stool, and he says, yeah, we're going to need to do a stress test. And we said, what's wrong? And he said, his head is small for date, and we just want to make sure that the baby is okay. And they whisk Susan away to another room, leaving me to sit there and question and wonder. Ultimately, we were taken to the high-risk pregnancy center just down the road in Highway 61 down here. And all the questions that are asked, do you drink? Have you drank, drank uh, alcohol while you were pregnant? Have you been doing drugs? Do you have any kind of genetic uh, defects in your family. All of those questions were hitting us all at once. Friends, I'm here to tell you that life can change in an instant, in a moment, a sudden car crash. The police will call you on the phone, an earthquake, a diagnosis of cancer, and your world all of a sudden closes in. This was our experience as we learned that day that we would become the parents of a child with special needs. We asked, why us? And the pediatrician comforted us and said, just look forward to the day of his birth. Two weeks later, September 4th, 1996, he was born. And... I counted the toes, I counted the fingers. He had an APGAR test of nine. Shortly thereafter, we learned that there were some struggles in his development, some delays. About three months later, December of 1996, we went to our pediatrician and he said, you know, I think it's time that we do an MRI. I can imagine that you must feel like when you go in for an MRI, you're not sure what to expect. But we got the results back, and everybody deals with it differently. I was a bundle of nerves before the MRI results. Susan was holding out hope and faith. And then after the MRI results, I sat down and watched a basketball game. I don't know why, but it was way, the way I dealt with it. 
but the results came back that he has lysencephaly. It's a rare genetic defect, a severe form of cerebral palsy. And the doctor told us that Seth would never walk or talk or count to 10. We now were parents of a child with a severe, profound disability. We were also told that he probably wouldn't make it out of his teens because of the seizures that would be part of his own life. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, over there in that chair is our 26-year-old son, Seth. I'm going to write a book about it, and the first chapter of the book is going to be asked the question, why me? Why us? But the last chapter of that book is going to be, why us, Lord? Why did you choose us to give us such a huge blessing? I can tell you I've learned more about the character of God through that young life than I have learned in my entire existence on this earth. He loves unconditionally. He is no respecter of persons. His joy fills the room. His laughter is contagious. And he makes everyone feel better every single time you meet him. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. I am convinced and I am persuaded that this particular passage was here for people like us. That Jesus himself is the healer of all diseases. You know, I said I'm going to have two chapters in that, in that book. Well, I'm going to have another chapter. You want to hear what it is? Everyone has special needs. All of us have special <laughs> needs. Some of them are outward. Some of them are inward. And Jesus, in his earthly ministry, comes and sees a man who was blind from birth. And it's interesting because his disciples ask him this question. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? You know, that was a common thought process back in Jesus' day, that something must have gone wrong in either this man's life or in his parents' life that he was faced with such a calamity. In fact, if you look back at the Old Testament, you see in the book of Job that his friends asked him the same question. Job, all of this calamity, all of this tribulation, all of this tragedy came into your life for a reason. What have you done what sin have you committed that God has given you this judgment? But we see here a resounding answer from the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but it happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, Jesus would go on to say, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. He repeats this because 
One chapter prior, in verse 12 of chapter 8, you read these words. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The motif of light and dark in this story is palpable. The fact that this man was born blind but then could see is palpable. The fact that the Pharisees themselves will question and question and question, and we'll see this as we go through this story, that in fact Jesus is showing them that they are the ones who are blind. So we see that we have work to do, Jesus says, and that work is to reflect. We are to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. And so what does he do? Jesus heals. That's what Jesus did. Now we want to ask ourselves the question, it says here that he spit on the ground, made some mud on the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Very odd way for Jesus to heal a person. After all, Bartimaeus in Jericho was healed when Jesus just said, receive your sight. He just spoke the words and Bartimaeus could see again. Others, he would actually just touch their eyes and they could see. Others, he would actually spit right on their eyes and then he would touch them and they they would see. But here, he's he actually stoops down and makes clay to put on the man's eyes. Now, I'm not here to be dogmatic this morning because we really don't know why Jesus used this method. We'll find out in a few verses that it did happen on the Sabbath. But perhaps the very creator, the agency the agent through which God created the entire world, in fact, created the very first man, formed him, Adam, from the dust of the earth. Could it be that Jesus Christ was in fact demonstrating that that which was created from the dust and because of the fallenness of our world did not come out perfect, I will now make it perfect because I am the creator. That is the powerful truth here, and I believe that Jesus did it for that reason. And then Jesus commands the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man had to do something. He didn't just carry the mud on his eyes, walk home, and forget about what Jesus told him. No, he was absolutely obedient. And he went to the pool, washed his eyes, and then he could see. Now his neighbors come to him and ask him, wait a minute, aren't you the guy that used to sit at the gate and was blind from birth? Some of them said, no, he only, listen, here's another clue of John's ideal of how he looks at the metaphor of sight versus blindness. He says, no, he only looks like that man. From their eyes, from their perspective, they couldn't see the truth of it. That someone had been healed, supremely given their sight back. And the man's reply is found there in verse 11. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and it was, and I can see. 
And he put it on my eyes, and he told me to go wash in Siloam. So the first step to transformational faith is the man himself, the blind man, calls Jesus a man. But let's pick up in verse 13 and read for a few more verses. It says here, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. You remember I had said that this was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such a miraculous sign? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. And so we see here that this man who had been born blind and now miraculously healed by Jesus is moving in his faith from Jesus being a mere man, a mortal, maybe even a miracle worker, maybe even a great teacher, maybe even a good man, to now he is a prophet. Notice what it says there that the Pharisees start to question the man. This is the first time in verse 15 they actually ask the man, what do you say? Note the contrast between the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, and Jesus. Jesus is about healing the man. The Pharisees are about identifying what caused the man to be healed. They were more worried about the process of it than actually celebrating with the man that he is healed. And Jesus himself said that I am the, the Sabbath, the Lord, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. This is what it says in Matthew. It says, the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This has become a stumbling block for the Pharisees. Because for them, anything you do that is work-related on the Sabbath is in fact against their law. And then in verse 17, the Pharisees asked the man again, what have you done? What has he done? What, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, so twice the Pharisees question. And what is the man's reply? He replies, he is a prophet. So he's a man, and then he's a prophet. But let's continue reading here, beginning in verse 18. The Jews still did not believe, listen to this, the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So now let's go ask the parents. Clearly this, this guy is off his rocker. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now look at the motive of his parents. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. 
That was why the parents said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. Verse 25 is the central core truth of this entire passage. It is our memory verse. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What a testimony. What a testimony of truth. Here was a man who had been born blind, and now I see. The great hymn writer would say, I was once what? Dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. Verse 26 says this, then they asked him, what did, you, what did he do to you? How did he open his eyes? Fourth time the Pharisees are asking questions. It's amazing. When will the Pharisees finally come around to the fact that this actually happened, this man actually did it, he cannot be just a normal man, he can't be a sinner because he did good. Could it be, could it be that he's the Messiah, the one promised? And yet, no, they question. They are deliberate in their disobedience and their disbelief. But then, look at what it says <laughs> the man in verse 27, this is what blows my mind, verse 27, now the man who had been healed starts asking them questions. Verse 27, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? It's almost as if they were now ribbing him. Ribbing them, saying, you know, do you, want, do you not get what this man has just done? And yet, you want to ask me how he did it? Just go and ask the man. Go and see what he has to say. Instead, he says, you want to be his disciples too? And then how do they respond? Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Notice how dismissive these religious leaders are of Jesus. And then the man answers, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody. I get this now, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Friends, this morning I want you to know that nowhere in the Old Testament was one born blind that was healed. Not before Jesus. People have come into the world with all kinds of calamity, all kinds of disability, and Jesus is the one who can heal even those who are born in their condition. This man's testimony continues by saying, no one, no one has ever heard of anyone opening the eyes of, the, of a man born blind. And then he makes this bold statement, which leads him into this third step of transformational faith. He says, 
if this man were not from God, then he could do nothing. And so Jesus here now turns from a man to a prophet to now in this man's view, he is from God. He has become a person who is convinced that Jesus is from God. And then in verse 34, here is the response of the religious leaders. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So the parents defer the religious leaders to the son. The son stands in his faith and he says, this man is from God. And what do the religious do, uh, leaders do? They throw him out of the synagogue. This morning, you may not have been born blind. You may have some other disability. You may have some other challenges in your life. But I promise you, just like I said last week, your faith in Christ will be tested. Your faith will have consequences that you will be ridiculed, you'll be persecuted, you will be thrown out as this man was. There are people in your life that want you to equivocate on your faith. Don't do it. The one who called you is faithful. The one who walks and guides you in life is worth it. Jesus is worth it. It was worth it to this man, and it is worth it to you and I this morning. So finally, we look at that fourth step. Let's pick up in verse 35 where it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him. Do you all see that? Jesus went to find the man. Jesus took opportunity to go and find the one he had healed. Isn't that comforting? That we serve a pursuing Savior. He wants a relationship with you and with me. He wants to guide us into all truth. And he goes and he finds him, and it says there, Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe? You realize that Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John, the writer of that particular verse, also says in his very first letter that the world, overcoming the world is because of our faith. What is it that overcomes the world? Even our faith. Because it is through faith in Jesus Christ, believing in Jesus Christ, that allows us to overcome this world. You and I were not wired for this world. We are wired for the kingdom to come. And that is what Jesus is preparing all of us for. And so what does the man say? In response, he said, who is he, sir? The man asked in verse 36, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with 
you. You know, I'm reminded of the same exact response from Jesus to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, just a few chapters back in John chapter 4. Remember, she said, I, remember, I know that the Messiah, when he comes, he will set everything straight. And he goes, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. And here he tells this man, I am the son of man. And then here we have the fourth step of transformational faith. Then the man said in verse 38, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The word there is curios. Curios. Lord, you are now Lord of my life. You are no longer a man. You are no longer a prophet. You are no longer just a man from God. You are the Lord. High and seated on your throne. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. In the men's Sunday school class this morning, we talked about all of the kings of Israel. Nineteen kings had come and gone, and all nineteen of them did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we asked the question, why is that narrative there? Because it's pointing to a king of kings, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the one who will sit on his throne and perfectly reign it's a theocracy. Jesus Christ is the one who is Lord. Is he Lord of your life? The question you have to answer is, is he Savior? Yes. Great. But is he your Lord? Do you follow him each and every day? The man's reply is Lord. And then the very first step of our commitment to Jesus is to worship that's what we're doing this morning. We're worshiping, exalting the name of Jesus Christ. The second step is baptism. To be baptized, to identify with Christ by dying to self and placing ourselves on him. This is exactly what it means to be saved. But then we must finish out the chapter because Jesus makes a statement and the Pharisees once again request information. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Friends, the Pharisees had the patriarchs. The Pharisees had the Mosaic Law. The Pharisees had the prophets. The Pharisees knew that a Messiah was coming, yet they turned their eyes away from Jesus. Their self-imposed rules created their blindness, and their own self-righteousness condemned them. Jesus was amazed at the faith of those who didn't have any of that. They just trusted in him because not only what he did, but who he was. And so this morning, many of us can look at this passage and we can say, well, Jesus healed a blind man, but it's more than that. Because the, the healing here is not merely a physical healing. 
It's a spiritual one. It's a spiritual healing. Something all of us need. Let me go back to my son for a minute. I had a lot of head knowledge about Jesus Christ. I knew this word. From the time I was 17 years of age, I read it, I studied it, I cross-referenced it. I knew every story in the Bible, every character. But I earnestly believe that God brought Seth into my life and Susan's life so that he could show me the heart of God. He could show me how much God's joy doesn't result from, from what we learn in the head. It results from what we yield in our heart. Are you yielded this morning to Jesus Christ? This man never knew Jesus before he came and healed him. Never saw him until after he had washed in the pool. And in an instant, he went from just a man who healed me to my Lord. Is Jesus your Lord today? If you have never made that decision to follow Jesus today, today, is your day. Won't you come forward and make that decision? If you want to join this church, if this church home is where you want to put down roots to do the work that God called us to do, today is the day for you to come forward and say, I want to be a part of this fellowship. If this is an opportunity for you to say, Lord, I've received your salvation, but I haven't really been living for you. I haven't made you my Lord. Today's your day of commitment to him. Recommit your life to Jesus Christ. So with that, I want us to pray. I want you to think about those things, and I want you to respond as we sing. So I'm going to pray. You bow your heads. And then Anne Marie's going to come up and lead us in our closing hymn. And I'll be up front and you can respond. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture, this narrative where Jesus Christ came into this man's life and restored, gave him his sight. He didn't restore it, he gave him sight from the first. Lord, I'm grateful that this story is here. It's deeply personal for my family and me, but any of us who were blind but need to see, Jesus Christ is the one who can help us overcome not only the blindness that we might have in this world, but the sin that ravages our bodies. We pray, Lord, that you will help us as we recover, not just in this time, but that we are prepared for the, for the kingdom to come. Thank you, Jesus for this, me this message, this passage, and we pray it all in your capable name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us and sing, and you respond. to 
Would you please be seated just for a moment? They're filling out their paperwork, but I want to remind everybody, how many are going to come out this afternoon at 5.30 for our back-to-school cookout? Okay, we're going to send off Lauren, and we're just going to have a great time. Uh, the girl masters are ready to go. Jimmy? The girl Okay, yeah, Bugsy, good, awesome. So um, let's come, come on up, Adam and Davia. Hi there, how are you? Well, come on in, come on in. This is the Russell family, Adam and Davia and their beautiful children, and uh, they would like to come on profession of their faith and trusting in Jesus Christ. They want to join our wonderful church. Are you all in favor of affirming them in that decision? Say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. So great to have you guys with us. Okay, so what we're going to do is um, Adam and Davia and their kids are going to be up here after the service. Won't you give them a warm welcome as, you, as we end the service, okay? So with that, please stand, and we're going to be dismissed. And here's the blessing from Numbers chapter 6. It's a priestly blessing, and it says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May you go in peace. Amen. Thank you. Awesome.